Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke. It's not a long one, so it must be a good one. It is Luke chapter 16, verse 10. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. The word of God for us, the people of God, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present Redeemer. Amen. So we are embarking now on a summer, end of summer sermon series. In fact, you all should, every pew has a couple of these on it. Uh, it is the, the, part, the real gist of the sermon series. So the 22, and we have a, a separate slide that we had up for the sermon series itself. It's 22 questions that John Wesley asked. I'm going to tell you where these came from, but you can take these sheets. You don't need to refer to them during the service. Uh, there's extra on the table in the lobby. Uh, but anyway, these are the questions that we're going to be pondering. Um, when I do a sermon series, there's always a little bit of intrepidation because I'm concerned that I may have bitten off more than I can chew. I mean, sure, I've got probably two good weeks of material, but when I promise seven weeks, do I have seven good weeks of material? I don't know. But in this instance, I'm, I'm pretty confident in the material because it comes from John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist Church. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I don't know everything about John Wesley. When I went to seminary, everything seemed like in some, at some level it was like a survey course. Even if we took a whole semester to study one book of the Bible, it always seemed like we were skimming through stuff. Old Testament, one semester. New Testament, one semester. You're laughing. You know. Uh, and, it, look, and you know, we all know that it takes a lifetime to read and understand the Bible and that every time we crack open the Bible, we learn new stuff about it throughout that whole lifetime. So that can't be an excuse, though. And any more than we as Methodists should be ignorant about John Wesley, who founded Methodism. Now, although it's not a topic for today's sermon, I'll commend to your reading various Methodist writings which describe the basis for the Methodist faith. If you've ever been of the mindset, and it may have been because of our open doors, open uh, arms, open hearts uh, policy, uh, the, the slogan that the church has, or people will just say this about Methodists. They'll say, Methodists, they're kind of loosey-goosey. They just, anything goes with them. If you've ever thought that or believed that, you will be disavowed of that notion when you read, for example, the United Methodist Church Articles of Religion. Uh, does anybody know who put those together for the church? John Wesley in the 1700s, working from the, the same Articles of Religion from the Church of England, which is the Episcopal Church. It's serious stuff. So it's appropriate for us as Methodists to ask the question, 
What would John Wesley do? So in 1738, Wesley, before he became the John Wesley we know, had this experience at Aldersgate where he said his heart was strangely warmed. And I mean, he, he, it, it was an amazing experience for him because he went out and started preaching all over the country and he started putting together these classes and bands of people. And in these classes, they, they would re- meet regularly to study and to have personal accountability among themselves. And the questions that we're going to look at during this sermon series were used by John Wesley in those groups for self-examination. Now, one thing I think you'll get from this question, these questions that I think you'll get if you look into John Wesley generally is that John Wesley had a way of thinking and writing that comes across as being perpetually relevant over the years. He's never out of date. So anyway, this list of questions came about in like 1729 or 1730. And the point of the questions in these groups was for the individuals to uh, become accountable to each other spiritually and to encourage each other to grow in their love of Jesus. So today we're going to tackle the first four questions. Now next week, Reverend Tiffany is going to be here. She gets to do, are you a slave to fashion, right? I just think that's amazing that John Wesley has that in there. But we're going to tackle the first four. Number one, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I am? How could that be? Uh, In other words, am I a hypocrite? Am I honest in my acts and words or do I exaggerate? Do I confidentially pass on to others what was told to me in confidence And can I be trusted? Now, I'm going to say this. For all of us, I think this is going to be the case that for every one of these questions, at some level, we're going to see ourselves in the question on the short end of the stick, on the short end of the inquiry. For example, if someone were to ask me in a neutral setting, are you a hypocrite? I'd pretty much have to say yes. Now, I don't profess to be a hypocrite or try to be one, but I think there are hypocritical aspects of things that I say and do, and think. So my request to you is this. When you see these questions, keep an open mind and try not to bow up immediately and have that instantaneous wall put up to any kind of discussion as it relates to you. And at the same time, try to avoid that instantaneous urge to say, well, I may be a hypocrite, but he or she is really a hypocrite. So am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am In other words, am I a hypocrite? Fascinating to me how John Wesley asked this question. He doesn't say, do you say one thing and do another? That would be too easy. The answer would be, well, yes, but I'll try to do better. Instead, John Wesley is asking this. Are you putting on airs? Are you trying to convince people, whether consciously or unconsciously, that you are somehow better than you actually are at your core? Well, our initial inclination may be to say, well, if I do that, it's because I don't want people to think poorly of me. But in truth, the model that establishes how we're supposed to be perceived by others is what the Bible tells us. And Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, check this out. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. And that advice from Jesus is not about trying to make people like you, which is probably where our putting on airs is coming from. But instead, it's what Jesus is saying. It's about being respectable by being a genuine, dialed-in Christian. 
Now, Jesus continues in the same Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 with more counterintuitive things. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others so that you're seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he goes on to say the same thing about prayer. He says, well, go to your room, close your door and pray to your father in secret whereupon God will reward you. Now, the corollary to all this, where we sort of chip it away at our own need to be hypocrites and hypocritical, is in Matthew 7, where Jesus admonishes us. He says, don't get into a human rating system with other people. You know this one. Do not judge, or you yourself will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will measure, and the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Which leads us to the second question, which I think is a little bit less of an internal conflict of character issue, but still angles to address this desire we have to create an impression at all costs. Am I honest in my acts and words or do I exaggerate? <laughs> Never. Proverbs 25, 14 says, like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts that he's never been given. <laughs> Sounds like Harold Hill. Um, according to scripture, this practice of making things bigger than they are is fueled by a misapprehension of God's order for us. So check this out from 1 Corinthians. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, brothers and sisters, he's talking to people who are putting churches together with him. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards or influential or of noble birth but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong and chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before God. Wow. That seems sort of upside down for us. But there's more that Paul says it seems upside down. He says, when people measure themselves and compare themselves with others, he says, they're not wise. Instead, Paul says, you want to boast? Here's the boasting we're supposed to do. It should have proper limits. It should be confined to the fact of our service toward God, which God has assigned to us. In other words, we boast by aggressively telling people that we are children of God and that we have a place in his kingdom here on this planet. So next, do I confidentially pass on to another what was told to me in confidence? Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. There was a fairly closely uh, analogous statement that came out in World War II in the United States that sounds a little like that. You know what it is? I hear it. Loose lips sink ships. The intention was to state Beware of unguarded talk that might undermine the war effort. Now, we typically know when a communication ought to be kept confidential, even when confidentiality is not requested of us. And we know what the other people expect, and we also have a sense of what is the right thing to do. For example, if someone is providing you gossip, 
They probably don't expect you to keep it confidential, but you probably also know better than to move the information along. The question is, do we guard the information appropriately? Or, in an effort to come up costs as someone special who's in the know, go back to our first question about being a hypocrite, do we inappropriately leak the information? Little did we know that leaking the information in an effort to look cool runs the risk of undermining the war effort, which for Christians is the war against faithlessness and evil and complacency. And so it all comes down to our last question. Can I be trusted? Our initial inclination is to ask, what's being a minor hypocrite and an exaggerator and a little bit of a gossip has to do with my trustworthiness? And the, if the fact that you're actually asking that question doesn't sort of provide the answer for you, think about how we place our trust in people and in institutions. Think about how it's not typically an all-or-nothing thing, but we usually give out our trust sparingly in little bits at a time. We choose to trust more or less depending on the totality of circumstances we see in front of us. But note that the question here from Wesley is not whether people find you trustworthy, but whether you can actually be trusted because if you are constantly putting on airs and exaggerating the truth and spilling your guts about things that should be confidential, your concern should not be what people think about you in terms of trust and whether they think they can trust you, but whether or not you actually are positioning yourself to be trustworthy. You're positioning yourself to be reliable. Paul says to Titus, who he had deputized to take over at Crete, where Paul had made the church at Crete. Titus is appointing overseers for the church, and Paul says this to Titus. He says, if anyone is above reproach, above reproach, who can hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those people who contradict it, that's your leader, Titus. Then Paul says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. And isn't that the point, to be trustworthy? We need to be trustworthy so that we can give out the instructions that will be honored by people who hear it because we are clearly to them trustworthy people. And that instruction, of course, is instruction in the sound doctrine of Jesus and being able to respectfully and effectively correct those people who contradict that doctrine. Our scriptures are telling us that we are crippling that effort to influence the world and to be example for the world when we possess a lack of respect for God's order and for other people, when we, even in small increments, fail to keep confidences, exaggerate who we are, and alter the truth to meet our needs. Let us pray. Lord, what a tangled web we weave on this earth when, Lord, you've made our life simple if it's directed toward you, if it's focused on you, if every waking moment, Lord, we're in constant prayer and communication with you. 
Help us to remove the veneers of society and concerns about, about popularity and all the things that the world holds valuable. Remove those from us, Lord, so that we can see the value in that relationship with you and salvation in Christ and the value in our lives here, Lord, as we can affect the world for positive change and discipleship in Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen.